primary care knowledge boost, preparing for the AKT exam. Hello and welcome back to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. We've teamed up with Health Education Northwest to do a couple of episodes that are helpful to GP trainees and hopefully also helpful to those that are training them. Yeah, so this episode focuses on preparing for the AKT exam, perhaps a more overlooked exam compared with the CSA. We talk about what the exam is and how to know when the best time for you is to take that exam. Exactly. And then we also discuss how to break down the curriculum and where to best focus learning, as well as how to actually do that learning effectively. Um, And finally, we cover how to improve exam technique, as well as useful resources and specific advice for those who've tried and failed the exam. Yeah. And even though it's a few years since we took the exam, it was really nice to reflect on the experience again and to consider it from the point of view of a qualified GP who might be supervising trainees. Yeah, we, we hope you find it helpful too. Can you introduce yourself for everyone? My name's Dr Alison Caldwell. I'm a working GP and I also work as Associate Dean for Health Education England. Perfect. Today we're talking all about the Applied Knowledge Test, the AKT for GP trainees. Um, Why is it important to talk about today? Um, I think that trainees worry less about this exam compared to the other exam. However, nationally, the pass rate is only about um, 65%. So only about two thirds of people actually pass it in any one sitting. First time sitters, the pass rate is higher. So I think it's really important to try and help trainees because the effect of failure is quite is quite significant. Yeah. So if we can help trainees to prepare right and to sit the exam first time at the right time with the right preparation, they're much more likely to pass first time. And the attempts are limited. So you, you can't just keep going until you pass. So I think it's really important that we that we give them those those skills and the knowledge we've got to try and help them prepare. That sounds really sensible. So I thought it was a good place to start was just um, generally talking about the format of the exam, like taking us right back to the beginning um, and talking us through how it is, because I don't know if it's any different from when we did it, because it's a couple of years now since we sat it. I don't think it's changed much recently, apart from you get slightly more time than you used to. So it's three hours, 10 minutes. It's 200 questions. It's a machine marked paper. And it's sat at the Pearson View Centres. Yeah. It's broken into 80% clinical, 10% evidence interpretation or statistics, as we used to know it, and 10% organisational questions. And the pass mark is usually about 70% or just below. So you mentioned when to take the exam and how that's important. When would you reckon is the best time to take the exam during training? You can take the exam anytime in ST2 or ST3. We know from research that working GPs pass the exam, so it would seem sensible to get some time in general practice before you sit it. Mm-hmm. The first time you take the exam, you're more likely to pass, as I said before. And you should choose a sitting where you've got time to prepare. So so you need to give it about three months preparation time. So choose a time when you've got that that spare time to do it. Yeah. And you you know, some people want to take the exam in ST2, so it's out the way, and that's absolutely fine. And and then you've got time to focus on other things in ST3. If you can cope with doing more than one exam at the same time, the later you leave it, the mm. better you'll do. But some people would find that too stressful. So, you know, if you want to sit in SD2, that's fine. That's true. I think I might have had a meltdown if I had to do my AKT and my CSA at the same time. (laughs) I was just going to say that, yeah, because I remember that our uh, programme director was very um, sure about making sure that we did it when we were doing GP. Um, And I think I said it in the January, so I've been doing it for a couple of months. And and you're right, it definitely made a difference because you were in the mindset of GP rather than the mindset of hospital. Um, And it, it really helped. 
Yeah, there was a couple of us, I think we were doing paediatric rotation and there's a few people that did theirs then and it was really tempting. It's like, oh, you feel like you're nearly falling behind like when when the first people in the year start doing it. But yeah, then it was like just trusting, no, no, they know what they're talking about. Okay, I'll I'll wait a bit longer. Um, And you're so busy on those horrible shifts. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. At least with GP, you're not doing crazy on calls. You actually have your evenings and stuff to do the preparation. Whereas in the hospital, you're doing nights, you're doing all sorts and your body clock's all over the place. And like, how are you going to learn in that environment? Yeah, it's much more geared up to learning. Absolutely. But you need to know that you're ready. And there is there are ways of knowing that you're ready to sit it. Mm-hmm. That sounded interesting. Ways, ways, that was leading. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so booking is usually about six weeks before the exam. And if you go onto the 14 Fish platform, which all our trainees have access to, and do a mock test, mm. if you're getting about 65% on that mock test, where the questions are written exactly the same level as the AKT, in fact, maybe slightly harder, and if you're getting about 65% then, you can book. Book then and you've got six more weeks to prepare. You should be fine. Oh, that's quite a nice uh, litmus test. Um, so talking about breaking down the curriculum, it's such a huge curriculum. How do we focus our learning? So it's very daunting, isn't it? It's massive. Yeah. And you can't learn everything. So you need to learn how to work smartly and learn what's going to come up. Most people don't pass or fail by very much. And, and so the, the distribution is quite high around, around the pass mark. So every point that you can get really makes a difference. So what I tend to say to trainees is, is to make some lists of things that you're going to learn. So the first list I'd make is my nightmare list. So the list of things that you want to come up the least, and we all know what they are. Yep. And there's probably only sort of five or six of them, but you make your own individual list. And, you know, we are human beings at the end of the day. When we revise, we usually like to revise the bits we like best first, but yep. you may not then get the chance to get to the other bits. So do the bits you like least first. Okay. Um, the next list I would make is the, I, I call it the bound to come up list or your daft if you don't list. So, you know, there may be one question on motor neurone disease, but there'll be 10 questions on diabetes, 10 on asthma, 10 on COPD. So I would learn the common chronic diseases that we see in general practice every day. And you need to learn those in detail yeah. and they will definitely come up and you will improve your score by going through in some detail the guidelines and things in those areas. Really, really important. And then the next list I'd do is is another sort of bit of a no-brainer list, really. So if you go on the college website under AKT, there's a list of feedback from each exam, and it and it's on there from every sitting, and it's all about the data from the sitting, but it also tells you the areas that trainees didn't perform so well in, and it's very clear when you read it. It says we will continue to test on this. <laughs> If you go through the last three or four sittings, so the last 12 or 18 months of sittings, and just look at the things that trainees did less well in and make sure you know those, you know they're going to come up. And as I said before, every little point makes such a difference. So there's some common themes there. So common themes are um, common skin problems and eye fundoscopy, and they're often accompanied with a photo, um, and they'll ask you what the treatment is for it. So they won't ask you what it is, they'll ask you what to do about it, because this is an applied knowledge test. Safe prescribing, including really common interactions, and they're not asking the detailed ones, they're asking about the common stuff that we see every day. There's always questions on drugs that require monitoring, and there's probably a list of about 10 or 15 of them. Learn them. It'll make a difference. It's a few points. And also, trainees, probably because they've worked in secondary care, they often want to do something. 
And so being prepared to do nothing is often the answer in general practice. And the longer you spend in general practice, the more you realize that. So learning to think like a GP and being prepared to do nothing, knowing what's normal, knowing what's only slightly abnormal and you can leave it is really important. So that's my feedback list. Yeah. That's really good. They're testing that, isn't it? Because it's such a, particularly with MCQs, there's always an answer. There's there's always a right answer. Absolutely. And general practice isn't like that. And that's it's slightly addictive doing some of the MCQ questions because there's, there's an answer. It's lovely. And then you get to the real job and it's like, oh, there's a lot of grey area here, isn't there? <laughs> if you chip away at the answers, if you're not sure which the answer is and you come to a couple, mm. try and choose the least invasive one because that's what we do in general practice. That's what they're trying to get at. It's mm. a helpful tip. Yeah, that's good to know their thinking. I like that way, like having the the, the different lists to try and break down that huge curriculum. Because I remember coming to it and it was pages and pages and pages and pages, and you just think, how am I ever going to know all of this stuff? But you do forget how much you pick up on a day to day basis, and then being able to focus those important bits to really get the points makes sense. Yeah, I mean they they're great lists to work from. But what's the best way then to kind of to sort through those lists in terms of things like question banks or other ways of preparing? So it depends what kind of learner you are as to how you approach learning a particular topic. But I would choose a topic that you're going to cover, like asthma or COPD. Mm-hmm. If you are a reader, then you know read the guidelines and things. If you are more of a visual learner then 14 Fish is a really good learning platform for that. And there are videos on most of the common areas on there. So read or watch a video or both. That won't keep the memory inside uh, stored in your brain. So then you need to do something with it. So once you've done that, get a blank piece of paper and write down what you've learned, everything that's in your head from what you've just learned. And that will start to help it to be stored because we're learning for an exam that's potentially three months away. Yep. Then what I do is think about how that might be tested. So you may write some questions in your head about how they might ask about that. Or you might write questions for a colleague who's also studying for the AKT. You're then sort of applying the knowledge to a question. With regard to sort of reading and topic reading, that's, that's what I do. There's no substitute for preparing on the job. And so doing things in the day really, really helps too. What I tend to say is to pick two or three tasks in the day where you can think more broadly and it only takes 10 minutes or so. So for example, you get a discharge letter with a newly diagnosed atrial fibrillation where the patient's been started on an anticoagulant. So you could just put that on the repeat screen and file it, job done. But then you could sit there for 10 minutes or so and think, do I know the guidelines for this particular area? Do I know how to diagnose it? Do I know what to treat it with? Do I know about Chad's VASC has bled, etc.? Do I know the monitoring requirements for this medication? And then because one exam isn't in isolation to another, do I know how to explain what AF is to a patient? Do I know how to have that anticoagulant discussion? And then you're preparing not only for the AKT, you're preparing to be a GP, you're preparing for the um, consultation skills exam, etc. And that, that sort of thing, just done two, three times a day, will really improve your, your working knowledge as a GP. You mentioned question banks. Yeah. And a lot of people use question banks to prepare. And that's because, once again, we're human beings and we like to do quizzes rather than reading. But it's not a method of learning. It's a method of testing. So so you have to do the learning first. So I'm not saying don't do any questions, but I'm saying do the learning first from the lists that we've said. And then you can use questions to try and practice your speed, look at how the questions are written. Mm-hmm. 
and then to to pick up areas where you're a bit weaker so you can go back and do a bit more reading. We've got lots and lots of examples of trainees who've used purely question banks and have scored really highly in the 80s and then go to do the AKT and don't pass. Mm. And they come to me and they wonder why they've not passed. And it's because all they're doing is learning how to answer the question and they're not learning broadly on that subject so that they could tackle any question. Gotcha. So I, I, I wouldn't go for question banks straight away. They are valuable just to practice later on when you think you're ready. Yeah. That's interesting because, yeah, I think reflecting back on what I did with the AKT, um, I, I was one of the question bank users, I will admit. But I think I maybe used it in a different way. So you're, I used it to find out what was weak on and then I went away and read about it somewhere else and then came back to the question bank. Yeah. But with the CSA, I did exactly what you were talking about. I was making lists, reading guidelines, doing recall, um, writing down what I thought I'd learned writing examples of cases and practicing them. I think if I'd have applied that to the AKT, goodness knows how I would have done. Like it's funny to think of them in the same way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are some very good learners. You are probably a really, a really effective learner already. So um I sort of take the risk of saying that probably the question banks didn't make a huge amount of difference. You would have passed anyway. I got, I did get slightly addicted to, there was a particular app and I was doing a lot of commuting at the time. So I'd, I'd pretend that it was useful. You, you, you often feel quite a lot of guilt when you're not revising for the exam. So it's like, oh, I've got this app. I can, I can do things. And I did try to kind of, when I was getting them wrong, to look up why and do the deeper learning alongside it. Like you say, it's a really interesting distinction between that being a method of testing, but not being a method of learning. And what um, what would you say broadly then would be the best resources for trainees to go to in terms of prepping for the AKT? Well, I'm going to say first is patience. Patience often quite brutally tell you what you don't know. <laughs> Use what you do in the day and your puns and dens to drive your learning in the first instance. Before you move on, um, tell us what puns and dens are, just just in case. So puns and dens are a short for patient unmet needs and doctor's educational needs. So if you can't help a patient because you lack knowledge, then that's an educational need of yours. So one one turns into the other. Mm-hmm. Lovely. The other thing is your trainer is is very good at giving you feedback and you've got to listen to it. So if they say that you have a weaker clinical area, listen to them and go away and, and do a bit of learning. The curriculum, once again, is is really good and it's been updated and it's actually now quite user-friendly on the website. And each topic guide has suggestions as to how the AKT may test this right at the end of each topic guide. So if you have a look at those, they might give you some ideas as to, as to how you can apply the knowledge that you're learning. Okay, we'll link to that um, as well in our episode descriptions people can find it great the bnf is fantastic and if you've never done it have a look at the beginning of a chapter it summarizes all the guidance it summarizes how to manage things how to monitor things so certainly in a weaker area i would use that too national guidelines nice guidelines etc are often referred to in the questions As I've said before, 14FISH is a learning platform that's quite useful. And we do know from research that we've done that actually use of 14FISH improves score. So it it adds structure to learning, I think, is part of the reason why that does. And also, it's a very visual platform. So it's worth using it, not on its own, but as a resource among many. And you said that that's, is that free for Northwest trainees? 
Yeah, it comes off the study leave budget. So every Northwest trainee is invited to join. And and with regard to your organisational questions, things like DVLA, etc. Once again, don't learn the whole medical practitioner's guide. Think, well, what will be tested? So they're going to ask about diabetes, epilepsy, cardiovascular. They're not going to ask about something that GPs would definitely have to look up. So just pick the areas that are obvious. That's a good one. Yeah, I do have to look at those still. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. So if we talk then about preparation for the statistics, or what did you call it? What has it changed its name to? It's changed its name to clinical evidence and data interpretation. Because that was the bit that terrified me the most, I think, going into the exam. I just didn't know what to expect. And actually, I think the questions ended up being easier than I anticipated. How would you go about prepping for that? So despite worrying, most trainees do better in this bit of the exam than any other bit. (laughs) If they look at their breakdown of scores, they do as well as, if not better, than they do in the clinical area. It is only 10% of the exam, so I wouldn't get too hung up about it and I wouldn't spend all your time preparing for the statistics. It has changed recently and it's become much more practical and how you need statistics to do your job. So on the how to prepare for the AKT section of the college website is a new document that I would definitely recommend reading. And that's got lots and lots of graphs and asks you to work out what you can take away from the graphs and making meaning of, of statistics and evidence and data. Yeah. There is a great handout from Bolton GP Scheme, which you can look up online and you can just download. And that's about 30 pages long, but that goes through what things mean. You know, what does sensitivity mean? What does number needed to treat mean? And how to prepare for the AKT? That's really good. Sounds great. And then sort of in work. So if you go to your practice manager and say, have we had anything from medicines management recently? And there's all sorts of graphs and things on there. And you can sit and work out what you can get out of that. Or maybe just look at one or two journals at most. Don't sit and go through them all. But look at the graphs and work out what you can understand from what's being said to you. Yeah, such an important skill in medicine, isn't it? Absolutely. There are also books and courses, but do you know what? I, I probably wouldn't wouldn't spend that much time or money. I would just do those simple things. I think I was surprised by the amount of visual statistics that there were. Like I prepped for, for maths and like working out all the calculations, but there were more graphs and interpreting and, and things like that than I'd expected from that part of the exam. And it's even more like that now. Okay. The um, the other question that I just had related to all of that was, do you have to pass each individual section or is it an overall pass mark? You can get no marks in statistics. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you won't. We very rarely find a massive difference in marks in each section. The one that's often the lowest is the clinical. So that's where you need to be working. Mm-hmm. And trainees often say, oh, I'm going to work on my statistics because then I'll pass. And I'm like, you won't. You need to do the clinical stuff and then you'll pass. <laughs> Um, And then in terms of thinking of actually sitting the exam, it's a really long exam. Um, Are there any ways to improve exam technique that might improve marks? So good techniques worth 5% or more in an exam. You need to be able to, you've said it's a long exam, it's three hours, 10 minutes. You have to have a good night's sleep and a good breakfast and be able to concentrate for three hours, 10 minutes. Mm. So sitting up the night before all night is, is a no. You need to answer everything because, as I've said, most of the people don't pass by a huge amount and don't fail by a huge amount. And if you don't finish the exam, you are really unlikely to pass it. So answer everything. It's not negatively marked. So you can guess. If you don't know the answer, you can guess. Work at the right pace. So, you know, 
keep looking at the clock. If after an hour and a half, you're 100 questions in, you're absolutely fine. Keep going like that and take your time first time. So you can mark some questions for review and that means that you can go back to them at the end of the exam. I wouldn't do that too much. I'd probably mark no more than about 10, 15 absolute max because number one, you won't have time to go back and you must put an answer anyway, even if you're going to review it, just in case you don't have time to go back. But most people don't review positively. So most people are neutral reviewers. So when they go back and review, they make absolutely no difference to their score. You may as well just take your time first time. And taking your time means reading the question twice. There is a particular question that I've got on my slide set that I show to trainers. And I will guarantee you that 90% of them get it wrong. And they get it wrong because they didn't read the question properly. And I do it to highlight to them how important it is. So read the question and then read it again. Decide on an answer and And then if you've got time, just go back and check that you absolutely have answered the question that they've asked. So are they asking what's the most appropriate? What's the most important? What's the most common? So think about the question that's being asked and it's add on to the end of that. What's the most important in GP, you know, because that is where you are sat. So you must visualize yourself sat in a GP surgery. If you don't know the answer, whittle it down because there's some on there that you'll know are definitely not the answer. So you might get it down to a couple, then choose the GP answer or the least invasive answer and the most sensible option in general practice. And don't don't mark those to go back to. If you don't know the answer, you won't know it later. Just just answer it and move on. Good point. Yeah, makes you feel slightly better when you mark it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll have an epiphany. But yeah, it's so time pressured. Yeah, move on. Absolutely. And then for people who've sat the exam and failed it, what would your advice be to those people? I think the first thing is to be really honest with yourself. Have you done enough preparation? Are you happy with the amount of work you've done? Or did you just do it to see how you got on? Mm -hmm. And remember that the goals you have are not not unlimited. So I think wasting an attempt is not the right way to go. But if you think that you've not done enough work, then go back and think about those three lists and preparation and structured preparation and making sure you're ready by testing that before you book. If you think that you've done enough work, then you need to realize that the plan you had didn't work and to change the plan. So, so if you think you've worked hard enough, then you need to sit and think about how you alter your approach to improve your score. Don't just keep doing the same thing again. Mm. That seems sensible. Um, and I guess as a kind of summing it up then, um, probably most of the points that you just said apply, but what, what would you want people to, to take home from the discussion today? What are the biggest learning points, do you think? I think um, prepare smartly. Don't rely just on question banks. It's not enough. Do the work first. Sit only when you're ready. Read the question twice and good luck. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much, Alison. That was a really good, good talk. Yeah. It's a really nice, succinct summary of of the AKT. I wish I'd had it before we'd done ours. So it was really lovely to talk to Alison today. And what a great and different topic to be able to cover. It's nice and refreshing, isn't it? Yeah. What did you take away from from the discussion with her? Yeah, I was reflecting on kind of my process throughout the sort of preparation phase, that three months that they say. I was thinking about how I broke down the curriculum and I really wish that I'd have chosen her approach, sort of that nightmare list and the bound to come up list. 
I did go onto the college website and look up those, the feedback from previous exams, which was really, really useful. Yeah. And that was quite late on in my learning. I was like, oh, I found this like gold mine of really good information. Uh, so definitely not to be overlooked. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I was surprised at the, the kind of science behind taking it. So like the right, when the right time is and how that can affect your points and doing a little bit more in clinical might boost your points and working on your exam technique might boost your points. Like it's not just a wildly just go and take the exam. There's actually stuff that you can do to improve your, your marks. And if you do that first time, then you're more likely to pass first time. And I was really surprised by the numbers, actually, the fact that the pass rate is quite low. Yeah, um, that was interesting. Yeah, I think that whole thing about how tight it is around that pass mark that a couple of marks does really make a difference. Yeah. Puts the pressure on a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Um, but we are shining examples that you can pass. <laughs> it is possible. Um, even if, like me, you, you unfortunately did probably use the question banks a little bit too much. But it, it, I think she gives some really useful points for how if I was going back to do it again, I would definitely change my technique because the, the learning will stay with you longer if you do it that way as well. And actually, be helpful in, in your practice yeah definitely life is much easier when you know how to explain af and anticoagulation exactly. and all, you know all the basics that that do come up regularly so it does really help you practice doing it um so yeah thank you to everyone who's been getting in touch with us uh, as we've been going we've got a couple of ways that you can do that um you can uh, hit us up on twitter our handle is at pckb podcast and we also have an email address which is primarycarepodcasts at gmail.com yeah, and you can also make our day and fill out our survey, um, which is a link on the episode description that you can click on and it takes like a minute or two. So that'd be great. Yes, exactly. We love those emails coming through. Yeah. Um, and we do have another one of these episodes coming out that's with Health Education Northwest and it should be about communication skills, which will be another interesting topic to go through from more maybe a point of view of a trainee and on how you can help as a trainer. Uh, so we'll, uh, we look forward to getting that out to you as well. Till next time. On Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Hey guys, just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in Greater Manchester in 2020. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. Uh, the content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.